Hey, listeners. Today, we're excited to have our guest, Ramley John. Ramley is the author of a recently published book, Product-Led Onboarding, a book about how to turn users into lifelong customers. Ramley has been a full-stack developer and a data-driven growth marketer as an employee and as a consultant to all kinds of self-funded and VC-backed startups. I met Ramley about a year or so ago. We've been Twitter friends for quite some time, and even I even ended up on his awesome podcast, Growth Marketing Today. Ramley is one of my favorite people I know on the internet, and as my wife will make fun of my Twitter friends that I've never really met in person, but hopefully that will change in the future. Um, he's just always so generous, and a pretty much I, I view him as a magnet for just bringing all kinds of interesting people together. And I feel like his past has brought him pretty much into the perfect position to launch a book and to hit the product-led movement running. So, Ramley, welcome to the show. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, that was the first time I've been called a magnet. So thank you, Josh, for your kind words. <laughs> uh, yeah, and same to you, you. My wife is like, why are you always on Twitter, Ramley? <laughs> it's just such... I met you. I met you through through Twitter. So I mean, this is super cool that it it really is a place to make friends and hopefully meet up someday and actually know each other. Yeah. Before you see each other face to face. Definitely. I think we've even talked about where was it? Either you were. I was going to Virginia Beach like a couple years ago, and you were like, "Hey, that's where. That's like me and my wife's spot or something like that." And we kind of got yeah. to chatting about yeah, that too. There. So. Yeah, for sure. Nate, and I'm not sure you know, but Ramley is a fellow Canadian. Um, so, you know, as I view oh. Canada, you're probably right next door to each other. Oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Living in igloos. Yeah. But I, uh. but I hope you don't go off and start using Canadian secret Canadian words that I don't know about, but whatever. What's up, babe? Uh, but all joking aside, today uh, we'll be getting into all kinds of questions from Nate and I, covering why Ramley wrote the book. And and how about how he's done a fantastic fantastic job launching it? I just have so many questions, and and obviously I'm a bystander seeing it going on, but I have so many insider questions on his launch. But we're going to let Nate get the first crack at Ramley. So Nate, over to you. <laughs> Thanks. Whip it. Oh man, it, it's good to see you, uh, Ramley, and I, I look forward to our Nate. chat today. So you, you've got this whole book on product led, and I think that's a really big topic in our space. What what kind of got you into writing about that? Yeah, for in terms of writing about product led onboarding, I, actually, Josh already mentioned a little bit that I, I used to be a developer. Whole, whole story and how I got, I got into marketing, which we can talk about later, but. The transition from marketing to to focusing on product growth was I was a consultant for this B- VC back company, a SaaS company, and I was mandated leading the team around getting more signups. And I'm sure people have have heard of this. If you're marketing, just get us more signups around me. And it's VC back. That's the VCs they care about top line growth. So just get more signups. And I was getting signups, a bunch of signups, and I started wondering to myself out of curiosity. Are these people who are signing up actually using the product and checking it out, sticking around, paying, and becoming lifelong customers? So knowing a little bit of SQL, I asked if I could get access to, they didn't have any analytics on the back end at that point for event tracking. So I was like, hey, can I get access to your database? And so I can poke around to see if the users I'm getting signed, who I'm getting to sign up is actually sticking around. And unfortunately, what was happening was the standard that Endercom found is through there and through a lot for a lot of SaaS companies that 40 to 60% of people who sign up once 
they only do it once and they never come back again. And it, the problem with that is they there's a lack of ex- the first impression really matters and often it's forgotten. And that got me on a deep end, the the rabbit hole. You know, when I was a kid, I, I used to put my finger into holes and one of them was a a, a plug, a wall outlet, <laughs> just out of curiosity. And it was the same thing here where I was like, oh my goodness, like how do I, what is, how do I get more people to stick around, not just to sign up, but actually to use and experience the product to its fullest value. And that really got me into to product growth. And I connected with Wes Bush, who wrote the book on product-led growth. We both went to the same university, uh, University of Waterloo, different years for sure. And uh, he was a marketing consultant and he, he, he wrote the book. When he, when he wrote the book on product-led growth, he reached out to me and we started chatting about doing some training and education. I was doing a little bit of training then. And that really got us working with companies like Mixpanel, Microsoft, OutSystems, and other companies to implement product-led growth. And for some of them, it helped improve their onboarding. And that's what the book is all about, is this system and framework that we've we've been using to help companies improve their user onboarding experience. It's really cool. Would you say, you know, I guess a lot of marketers are always looking at kind of like the page view thing or the vanity metrics with that. So would you say like a lot of product vanity metrics when you're talking to VCs or talking to CEOs, people that are looking to raise around, they're like, I'm just looking at how many signups and has that been growing? And then it's kind of like that same difference between, well, are they actually sticking around? Are they converting for a marketer? And then for on the product side, it's like they're signing up, but are they actually activating? Are they actually doing something? Is that, would that summarize kind of how, how you're, you're kind of hitting that, that point inside the product? For sure. And it, it, it's exciting. It's exciting to see the first time you get, as, a, as an indie hacker, in the, I've, I've talked to other indie hackers, like you, the first time you get a sign up, it's like, oh my goodness, someone's actually signed up for my app. And then you're now you're now you're hyper-focused on this one thing, just get signups. But it is, to your point, you use the word vanity. It is definitely a vanity metric because uh, it, it it doesn't show strong signal that you that people are are actually going to use your product which is at the core of them becoming a, a paying customer so and even for, for some vcs right this, talking this is eight ten years ago before the whole retention is right. is the number one thing important in growth where that type line, that number of users is is something that they look at especially with the age of with Facebook just get just get signups right just get a signups and we'll figure out how to monetize that later i feel like there's this whole movement recently people just realizing well that's not sustainable with a lot of startups not working out where you just getting signups is is not it's a risky proposition because delaying the riskiest part of a business which is monetizing it it could be a risky proposition unless you you're you're you totally have a ton of cash in the back and you can weather the the dip the the negative dip before you, you you start seeing some kind of revenue come in so for sure it is definitely a vanity metric that is is scary yeah yeah that's that's really interesting that you're talking about being at a, a venture capital place and that's that's where you were diving into some of this onboarding stuff so did you kind of start your transition towards product-led work there or did did you kind of branch out from that company and afterwards sort of follow up on that for sure. I mean, when when I connected w- with Wes after that, it's when I started doing more more consulting mm-hmm. on on around onboarding and product growth, and that that got me into the deep end of just learning more about it. But as well, at some point, I started teaching 
about it with with us where we're doing workshop around in, in Toronto, he, in Brazil, Port, Portugal, and other places just around this topic. So that that's where that that's the the path that I that got me there to to actually digging into more about product onboarding. Yeah. And so I guess obviously everybody needs to hear about this, but who, who would you say is the, the best, the best people to be taking this advice? Who, who really needs to hear this today? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, first of all, founders, people who are anybody who cares about people sticking around <laughs> in their app it needs to hear this. I liken, I liken the importance of onboarding to a party, like, Things are starting to open up here in, in Canada, and when, imagine uh, Nate and Josh, where you're both invited to a party, and the host who invited you just ignores you and doesn't even say hi, doesn't tell you where the food is, doesn't show you where the toilet is because that's super important. <laughs> doesn't show, doesn't give you a tour, and just ignores you, and you're just walking around, and you just feel disconnected, and uh, that's exactly what happens. Is when that that occurs, I don't know about you, but I'm not. I'm probably not going to come back. Yeah, <laughs> I am not going to come back. I'm not going to re- tell my friends about it. But imagine if that experience is great, where they welcome you. Hey, Neil and Josh, how's it going? What do you want to do? Do you want to sing karaoke? Do you want to go to the hot tub? <laughs> what What is value or fun for you? Then they connect you to the value quickly or that fun. They show you where the toilet is. They show you where the food is at, and they just, just they just get you excited and pumped and having fun. The chances are, if I invited that person, invited you again, you're probably hey, hey, can I invite more, a few more friends? Mm. That's that's really what happens, and what I'm what this implies. Now I'm gonna use marketing terms is that first impression in the onboarding really leads to to retention. It leads down to to without retention, there's no recurring revenue, and it leads to referral. So really, it 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 kicks off this whole growth cycle or this loop or what this funnel that that is super super important and if people care about keeping users in their app and and referring them and then i would say you really need to care about user onboarding at some point for your product that's that's an interesting concept i like i definitely like the party uh metaphor it makes me think about you know you're there the reason to have a party is probably just I guess two people could have different reasons. One, if I was the host and I did care about a vanity metric, if I had this massive party, but on the flip side, <laughs> did people actually enjoy being there? Like all of the, mm. all of the users coming in and right. like you said, would I come back? It's like you came there exactly. to have fun, maybe meet other people, build relationships, like have an interesting experience. And if the host isn't helping you direct that and you're just left there to your own devices, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot whether you're, actually going to achieve any of that and some people are going to be all kinds of different personalities some people are going to walk in being very tentative not knowing anyone some people might go off in a cluster oh, i've been here before i know where to go this looks familiar but all kinds of different personalities and you're missing out on on really making a connection and making sure as a good host that you know everyone everyone had a good time i, I yeah and I, I love what you you mentioned there going back to the vanity metric is people showing up at a party is, is great but the, I've talked to other people who, who does physical meetups. To them, success is how many people came back to the second event. And I think that's, that's true for parties as well. Is If I was a professional party tour, which I'm not, <laughs> my, my metric of success is not, hey, it, it, did people show up? That's great. 
But if it's a consistent party, which is which, which is what happens for SaaS or recurring revenue, then the real metric is did people show up to the second party and the third party and the fourth party because that that is a more indi- a greater indicator that somebody's had fun and that you're a great host. And now I'm, I'm using the host as this host is actually the whole experience, the whole onboarding experience. So like related to that party analogy, do you feel like, like you've talked quite a bit about onboarding. Do you feel like there's sort of a, is product led a, a continuum or are there kind of certain places where product led sort of fits into? That's, Oh, you you got it. Nail you nail you nail it right. Like you called it a continuum. I've talked to other people like from OpenView Partners with with Kyle Poye who talks all about usage based pricing and I've gotten a chance to talk to Eric Keating, VP of Marketing AppCutes, who who is one of the early pioneers for product led and they use the same word that you use where product led is more of a continuum where it's not it's not a product led versus sales led, which gets me really going at it when, when people say, Well, if you're product led, you can't have salespeople as anti-sales. At the same time, oh, you're you're you have you're sales led. You can't ever be product led. Actually, the best SaaS companies, if you look at HubSpot or or Slack, if you look particularly look at Slack. Like their S1 filing for 2019, 60 percent of their sales came from the sales team. If you think about it, like Slack is the traditional. This is a product led company, but wait a second. Like if you look at their their actual financial public records. 60% of their of their revenue came from sales. And the point is that they're the hybrid approach where you take the best world from having a high-touch sales team with a product-led approach because now you're serving a continuum of users because there are some people, not me, who love talking to sales, <laughs> right? I'm not sure about you guys. We're like, hey, I'm a, I'm a CMO. I don't have time to sign up for your app. I just want to have a 30-minute conversation with, with a founder or somebody from your team. There's, you have that users. You have those people who, who are like that. But you have the other people who are more like me where I, I don't like. <laughs> I don't like talking to people who are going to try to sell me uh, anything. And I'd rather just try it and poke around. So now with this continuum, you, you can serve both, both the, a, a, more, a wider array of people rather than just pigeonholing your, themselves to just serving one way. Cool. Yeah, I, 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 it was interesting you mentioned, was it, I've been following his stuff from OpenView for a long time. Oh, so good. And I think they even helped kick off a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the stuff with Wes initially didn't, they were either co-hosting like the first product-led growth summit or something like that. Hey, on, on the, on the, is it? Hey Summit or something platform like yep, three or four it. years ago. I think that might have been around the time where I started seeing West pop up and start. And I was reading all the stuff from OpenView. I mean, OpenView has been around forever, but at the same time, they're just they're just again like like you just hitting and hitting into this product led movement. If anything, a big a big part of just continuing to beat the drum on it. And that's been really interesting to see this this movement just just identify itself and give it a a category or give it a label versus what, you know, the slacks, the, all these other, the Atlassians, all these ones that have been doing it for years, just no one knew what to call it. It was like, oh, that's cool without salespeople or uh, what do they call it? Like developer or like developer first or bottoms up, like all these other terms 
And not until I think once people started calling it product led, did it really start to like gel and, and, and make it, make a business use case versus like, well, I'm not selling to developers, so it's not going to work for me. It's like, yeah, it's not about that. So hundred mm, percent. I just, I had a, over the weekend, I had, I don't know, a Twitter argument <laughs> with a, a famous product manager, a, a rich, I forgot his last name where he's like, uh, product led growth is not new. Uh, it's been around for years. And I said, yeah, I agree. <laughs> to your point, Josh. Yeah, it is. It's just a repackaging. And I was like, trying to mention, well, it's you know, looking at HubSpot. They, they just recently, it's been two to three years only. And then somebody pointed out, well, MailChimp's been doing it. I didn't even know MailChimp's been yeah. around for 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. So I'm like, what the heck? And I to Rich, that guy on Twitter was like, well, in the 80s, Ramley. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, sorry, I wasn't born in, I, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I was born in 85. He was in, around in the 80s. When the internet was just getting kicked off, you, you, you can sign up for free and try it out. And I was like, okay. So I guess it's obviously even before I was born, <laughs> this concept of trying to do bottoms up. And to your, to your point, Josh, it, it did legitimize it a little bit. Like you, bottom up or uh, free free first or try, try before you buy, like all these terms. And now... There's this term that Blake Bartlett, who, who coined the term, now now it kind of gave it a term and process and kind of connecting all the toolbox tools related to, to this to help companies grow in in a different way, so to speak. Yeah, and I think I think just because it's it's old doesn't mean it doesn't need to be heard, right? Like I think there's there's probably a reason why everyone is resonating so well with this product led discussion because I think it's been missing. Like we've all been to those apps where the marketing page looks beautiful, you click login or sign up, and then you just get taken to this like desert of an app, and you're just like, what is this? <laughs> it's it's totally true. I mean, the other side to it. And I was trying to make a point in that that Twitter discussion was around the. I guess it's more of a pe- pendulum because, it, maybe it's Salesforce with the predictive revenue uh, book where every B two B SaaS at some point were request a demo right almost every B two B SaaS and it just it became a playbook because it's it is to that book by Aaron Ross predictable revenue like if you have the numbers just just. Outbound calls, <laughs> get them on the phone, get the, request a demo, and now it's a numbers game. The more calls you make, uh, the more people you close. But it just the the, whole, the pendulum is swimming back, and the, people see what what's happening in the B two C world with with Spotify and Netflix and Duolingo, where I can't imagine at that pri- their price point having sales team, and now it's the consumerization of b2b SaaS essentially where they're adopting more of a b2c playbook on in a b2b world so that's to your point that's totally what what i'm seeing as well is that there's this kind of a shift and maybe we'll shift back to sales (laughs) (laughs) where everybody's like product is the worst we need to hire more sales team but to my boy earlier like i i would i i would highly encourage people not to think about as a product led versus sales led more of like it's it's take take a hybrid approach take take what works and see see what you know especially look at the customers you're serving right it, or do they want to talk to sales <laughs> do is it a bottom up uh, approach is the buyer versus the the purchaser the buyer versus the user different so that's just some just a few things that I, that I, w- I would highly suggest people think about before going all in on product led or going all in on sales led yeah i definitely like the 
pendulum swing thing because as we've talked about all these things have gone in cycles none of this is really new it's just would you say repackaged for for current times i mean at the end of the day you, you know you mentioned it we're all consumers and the consumerization and the expectations that people have with dealing with their own apps, Spotify, iPhones, you know, Amazon, all these different things. And then, of course, transitioning that big transition back into the business world. And then they're like, oh, now I have to w- use this old installed Windows software. And I think this, this, the two things that are coming into play are both the consumerization plus the, plus, you know, SaaS just being so prevalent just makes with the, with the recurring model, recurring revenue model just, it's just the perfect kind of crescendo where those those points are meeting. I did want to add a quick thing that might date me as a as from an age perspective, but if I thought about like the oldest thing that was doing anything kind of subscription based, even if it's in the eighties and computer was like all the all the early I used to get software in the mail and it would be the free or download it from a BBS, oh, yeah. right? Or you'd have Right. Like we talk about freemium. I mean that was Apogee right. doing like Duke Nukem and like ha- you get one level and then you have to go call in to get them to send you the other disc. I mean, it didn't get transmitted over the internet. It came in the right. mail, but that was still right. the same thing. And sure, like, hey, this first level has to be on point. This first level has to make you want, you know, more. Mm. We got to show you the cool weapons we got to show. But then oop, here's the paywall. Here's all these other things. But again, you had to get hooked. If I went in and played the first level, and and it was boring or it just seemed like a, a remix of some other game, then, I mean, that that's kind of a dead end for that that company. And they wasted postage, right? They were sending all these things out for free, so. I, I, that's just a good example. I, I didn't realize I played Duke Nukem and D- Doom. I'm not mm-hmm. sure, or yeah. Wolfenstein. Yep. I'm not sure. <laughs> and like, it is the same model. And I'm also recalling back like how dial-up internet before they would give out a disc and it was free for five minutes. Oh yeah. The Something AOL like the that. AOL discs that they would send around. Yeah, right. I mean, try 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 the internet right. for like ten minutes. Hey, yep. Go check your create a mail and just and then they hook you up into a recurring recurring payment or to, to continue to get access to, to the internet. So I do recall those days. I have one For more sure. lame example that came up in a conversation <laughs> with my wife and me the other day because she was she brought up this obscure band that I had no idea what they were, uh, and I won't even name it on here because I I'm gonna butcher it. But but she's like, you don't know about this, and she's like, oh yeah, maybe maybe I didn't, maybe it wasn't from like pop radio. I heard it. Maybe it was. I was in one of those CD clubs. If you remember those CD clubs that would send you, like, first you'd be like pick ten. 10 CDs you want for $5. And then after that, they would send you one every month. So the hook was the subscription. So it's like, that was the, the onboarding was like, Hey, get all these things for cheap. And then every month they're like, we're going to, we're going to send you a CD that we hope you like. And then, but you have to send it back if you don't want to buy it. It was a little, a little on the scammier side, but again, recurring like subscription. I'm sure there's all kinds of like the people doing the copywriting, the people doing like all of that, designing that user experience is probably you know again i'm sure there's things there that we are real rediscovering now in product-led and in onboarding and and thinking and thinking oh have they has anyone thought about this like well if you look back at some of these older not even software models like some people were thinking about this stuff and i'm sure even years dated past my age term i'm sure my parents could probably make up some other examples but 
it's 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 interesting how this stuff swings and pendulum and and just becomes uh focused but just with a different light and spin yeah i totally i'm totally with you i mean i'm thinking of another i mean music wise it's chance the rapper when like he he released all of his music for free absolutely everybody can download which when people when he did that 10 15 years ago we were like what are you doing? <laughs> How are you going to make money? How he made money is through merch. So he gave he gave his music away for free and made sure the music was great and created this community. And I mean, there's just so many ways to, to approach it that way. The whole, whole point of this is how, how do you, how do you de-risk the riskiest part of the buying process? And it's often, it's when it's, will I find this useful? Like imagine going to Costco and one of the reasons why they give away free samples is that's a risk. If you buy a new new type of sausage, <laughs> will you like that type right. of sausage? Is Exactly. And I mean, the studies that show that, that giving away free samples and seeing that they like it first, it increased Costco's sales for free samples by up to 120%. So it, it works in the consumer side and now it is getting more spotlight in the b2b side where is there a way to show and get people to experience that value first before before they actually purchase it and not it just it just doesn't do risk that thing for founders it also we're you know, open view found that it actually increases retention rates because now that they they know that it's is providing value they're more likely to stick around versus somebody who's who's been signed up for a year contract and then you're you haven't you you're, you've signed a contract you paid you paid already you haven't even tried the product yet, and you know you're stuck for a year. Like how how I, I've been in companies where the CEO, the CTO, or, or whoever C level they bought the the software for everybody uh, in the company, and we hated it. Right, right. <laughs> we were like, this software sucks. Right. Like, I can't imagine using this. They just they just wasted a year worth and. After that year ended, guess what? We didn't renew just because of that. So, I mean, that's it really does just risk it for both sides, for both the business. Yeah, I think it, keep, well it keeps uh, everyone it honest, too. like on all sides. I think it's a that the model is just is, yeah, it's just perfect for that. And the more you can set that, that those expectations and them to get that value up front or really see what they're getting, it just, yeah, the, the retention aspect and also even just the time wasted aspect. Like we're going through this mm. with referral rock here and, you know, from a, from a product standpoint and looking at like how much time, like our CS people might be wasting with a person that was not necessarily the right fit. They might've bought, they might've gotten even, you know, attracted by the type of value that it can give. But at the end of the day, it's like, that also has an internal effect of like burning out your 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 CS people or people that are in support that are asking questions, having to answer and field questions because the value proposition isn't clear and they're just wasting their time. They're getting frustrated and they're like, if half my day is spent answering questions where I don't feel like I'm actually delivering value or helping people, you know, that could be a big uh, detractor internally as well. So. Cool. Well, I know we could probably chat about this all day, but uh, I did want to get into a bit about your book launch. So, I mean, I've been just again watching, kind of as a as a bystander, seeing seeing your launch happen, and just you've been doing some really cool things on social media. I mean, I, I'd love to know kind of how you thought about the launch and and 
kind of even describe some of some of your your process on on this launch yeah i did it. so to put this into context doing most of the things by by instinct okay. almost hey. i was just watching other book launch it's fine <laughs> uh, it ended up working uh i think just looking back some of the things that worked out is i mean one thing i was that i did looking back was like oh that that was smart was four four months before it went live i i i announced it and got people to to I already had the first chapter. So going talking about product led, people can read the first chapter, get excited about it. And and I, I also had a beta reading session period where I, well, Josh, you were also one of the, the beta readers and thank you for doing that. I, I, for people listening, it was Josh who made me cut a whole chapter from the book. So I, I gave him a huge shout out. It's like, Ramey, this is redundant. Cut it out. I was like, damn it. You're right. <laughs> totally right. So, I mean, that the first one, beta readers, I gave them the book for free and that kind of seeded people taking pictures online. I mean, one of the editing stuff, looking back, that really worked out was something that Wes suggested to me. It's like, you should do a contest for the book cover. So I did a contest on Twitter and there was... I did. I went to 99 Designs and people created 68 or 69 or something like that designs. I picked the best four. I shared it on Twitter uh, and LinkedIn. It's like you know, on on our product led Slack to ask which one they like the best. And it wasn't just it, the good thing about social media is you pick A or B or or one of them. And I would ask why? Why would you pick that? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of them, the one that ended up winning is because if I saw this on the bookshelf or on the bookstore. It would catch my eye and I would pick it up. Nice. Was their response. So I was like, interesting. Okay. So I ended up going to the one that actually wasn't my first choice <laughs> at all. It's the one that was the people were responding. And I feel like that even to this day, it's been almost six weeks now that the book, five weeks that the book has launched. Just this morning, somebody posted up the, a picture of the cover on LinkedIn and they're just like, I'm reading this book. So it's it's when you have people judge a book by its cover for sure, <laughs> right? Whatever our English teacher taught told us about that is is it's not a hundred percent true. So I mean, having the book cover that that based on user research is is shareable is people are still taking photos and sharing it online to the point where I had a friend like I haven't talked to for years. So one of my classmates from from college was like, "Randy, I keep seeing your book on LinkedIn." And I was like, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm getting annoyed about it. It was not my plan. It really is to the point where people are just sharing it. And I'm 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 commenting back on it and people are are talking about it. So I mean those are some of the things. The beta reading helped me create a list, having a book cover that that really share really is shareable. And the third thing that I would say was when I announced it every week for twelve weeks, I was actually releasing a chapter. On on our blog and on on YouTube, and that created three to five thousand people on on a waiting list wow. that was ready to to get it within 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 a few few days. So that that was the other piece was just like if people read all the blog posts, they didn't need to buy the book <laughs> if they all connected the dots. And it's just a little bit of that content piece that that worked out because you, the great thing about having a book is that. You can repurpose it in so many ways. Like I just took some of the chapters. It's a bit. It's YouTube script. Right. I took some of the chapters. I created a Twitter thread. I, I took a portion of the book. I I posted up on LinkedIn. We I took another piece of the book and then I I, I used it as a blog post and co co blog in other places like productlet.org or appkeys.com. So so that that was my my I guess if I had to pick three things, it was 
getting beta readers who are ready to launch it and take pictures from the get-go to see the initial sharing, having a cover that is shareable. And the third thing is content, like just sharing it and just um, being so generous with with the information that I'm sharing, giving even giving away free books leading up to to the week for people to share to share it. So, I mean, yeah, th- those are just some things that that ended up working. And looking back, I was like, dang, that was that was that that worked out. Yeah, that's what's really interesting is just hearing all the pieces that I almost just like wrap up in how I describe you, which is like the generous aspect, the the thoughtful and not like ego-driven aspect and it's funny is you're just like a little bit embarrassed about it. you're like tell the little story about your you're telling your friend you're sorry that it's ending up in his feed and but that's that's what i think just just makes it makes it so interesting and it's like you 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 are a subject matter expert in it at the same time this isn't about you even from picking the book cover it's not about like hey i'm i'm here to be ramley john i wrote the book on onboarding you know mic drop type of thing that's not you and that's what i think makes makes it shareable, makes it relatable and makes it, Hey, I'm, I'm not the expert all the time, but I'm here to curate that and put it into a a concise manual for people. And, you know, by doing the beta reader stuff, you're getting a lot of feedback. And, and again, anytime, even with me giving feedback as a beta reader, you're always tentative. I'm like, do they really want my feedback or do they, you know, it's like, you're kind of tiptoeing around as you're describing. I was like, right. Do they really want it? Or do they want me to just say like, pat on the head good He's job good. so and i think i knew you well enough that i'm like i could just be like no nah, i don't think this works but hey it's your opinion yeah. but i think it's... and 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 you definitely took that in stride i mean you even had i don't even remember but this hasn't come up yet but you had a different title for the book before as well i did okay right <laughs> so it was called <laughs> eureka before and i think you did ask people on twitter about that a bit and and this was probably again yeah, one of this you. building in public aspects that and and you changed it for a for marketing reason i would assume and and also just like a yeah. you know same idea of the the book cover reasoning like would someone pick this up but you want to talk a little bit more about the retitling Yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of the title you mentioned, it's Eureka, and I've I gotten some feedback from from folks where Eureka sounds like it's a science book, <laughs> and I was like, oh, dang it, that's not what I want. It's not about getting out of the bathtub and like something about Archimedes or whatever. Maybe someone thought it was crypto uh, I, I... or is a crypto thing. Who knows? Like Ethereum. Oh it's like God. Eureka Gold. Like are they are they trying to do something else? You're right. <laughs> It's uh, it's really and I, I was I was like man this sucks I don't want this to happen so I before I pulled the the people the people the the, the list the, the beta I also reached out and DM a few folks including you Josh uh, thank you for sharing your your thoughts around that but I also reached out to authors like I, I talked to Rob Fitzpatrick who wrote the Mom Test and I asked him what did people think about this because when I asked my wife Joanna I was like what is the mom if I said the Mom Test what is that about. And she said, well, it's about becoming a better mom. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I asked April Dunford. April, I, mm-hmm. I DM'd her. I was like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm having a challenge with a book. What, would, were you worried that if people said, obviously awesome? Because I asked my wife again, if I said a book, obviously awesome, what is it about? And she said, it's about picking up girls. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, why are you reading all these books, Bram? Like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, and like even I, I, I reached out to Nira Yal. I was like, "Hey, you're re- hooked," and I was like, "Okay." I asked my wife again if she, if I said hooked, what would? It, and she said, "Peter Pan." <laughs> Peter Pan. <laughs> I was like, "Dang it!" So they all suggested, "Well, it, it, it's 
it's all the in the, the subtitle but i april made a good point like if there there was she would have called it product positioning because it's the best positioning of a book it's very clear she said unfortunately there's another book already called product positioning and it it would be confusing and she's like well i i maybe i i was about to call it positioning for startups and she said, thank God I didn't do that because now she's working with enterprise companies to do positioning. And that's the reason why she used the term obviously awesome because she was already doing workshops with that title. And it was very clear to her people, that to her audience, that that, that was connected to product positioning. So, I mean, that that got me to now, okay, oh, man, I really don't like the term product onboarding because it sounds like. It sounds like I'm jumping onto a term, right? <laughs> into a buzzword, product light onboarding. What the heck is that? Like, you're just adding the word product light to everything <laughs> product light content, product light marketing, product light customer success, product light everything, right? There's product light SEO. So, I really didn't want to jump into that. But um, looking to to Westbush, we, we are probably going to release other books around product light blank. And it made business sense as well. And as well as owning that term, it, it was something that Amanda Natividad on, on Twitter suggested. And also yourself, Josh, where you, owning that term can help because there is no other book with that term. Right. Even though, in, in my opinion, I feel like I'm jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> and Eureka sounds better. So I had to suck, I had to suck up what I, to your, to your point again earlier, it was not, it was, it really, it was building it public so it was our book it was more like the book for people and if it was clear to them what the book is going to be about if i call it product like onboarding versus eureka then i just sucked up my pride in this one <laughs> just, went, just went with with the one that people resonated with the best right now it's interesting I don't want this to sound like any of this was about me even though you mentioned me a bunch of times on my feedback but one of the things i did want to uh, focus the spotlight more on you. One of the things, not as much book launch related, but kind of started all happening in this is you, you started creating these, uh, what are they like? Uh, just little animated gifts of just yourself in different expressions as like <laughs> different emojis. I don't know if Nate, if you've caught any of these online, but he has this hilarious, I don't even know how many there are, but how, how did that even get started? And and it's, it's kind of like a unique, I just chuckle every time I see right. one of these and it just <laughs> exudes your personality, which right. I think is awesome. Yeah. There's rea reaction gifts where like, I, well, what, why create, first of all, it, it started with Blake Emil on Twitter mm -hmm. where he, every time he creates a thread, he ends with, uh, with one uh, gif where he's it's pointing up to get people to I got share it. it. I got it. And then Amanda was like, she did one for for another reaction. I was like, how do you do this? And she told me she just used Zoom. It's like, whoa, interesting. So I, I, it took me 15 minutes to record about 30, 35. I just cut it up with QuickTime. Then I uploaded it to MP4 to Jeff Creator. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then now I have four, like 30, 30 I lost count, 37 different <laughs> Jeffs where like it's me like waving it's me like um like shaking my head like why <laughs> and it, it's it's worked out actually it's uh, added personality to a bunch of things like to your point you, you mentioned you chuckle sometimes and i started sharing it to our to our team at product led and they they now use it for other things it's now like an emoji <laughs> you've become, <laughs> like you've, become you've turned yourself into a meme a series of memes i know exactly <laughs> we've used it for newsletters like i was just using it to 
get people to smile a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and now they're using it for for business stuff, <laughs> product stuff, for newsletters, for reaction stuff uh, on with, within the company. And I replied to a few folks, and it's got some people to reply to it that that I wouldn't have t- thought. For example, like o- Ollie Gardner, he he he's a founder, co-founder of Unbounce. And like I replied to one of his thing with a GIF, and it's like, dude, you 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 are next level. And he ended up following me after That's funny. this guy has like what twenty five, thirty thousand followers, and he ended up reply following me. So this is pretty sweet. I, I just found one of yours on Twitter. I've never seen this before. This is so awesome. That's funny, but cool. Well, I did want to wrap up a little bit. I think we're getting. I don't know been talking quite a bit and i'm not sure our listeners are still going to stick with us but i hope they are because i think this was just an awesome and really fun conversation but i think nate had a few questions wrapping up around just aspiring authors you know starting Mm -hmm. to write books and and had a couple questions around that if we wanted to wrap with that yeah so like what if you're talking to people who are thinking of writing a book what any things that you might do differently next time yeah for sure I would probably write it in public more. There's Rob, Rob Fitzpatrick who wrote the, the Mom Test. He has a new book actually that I ended up joining called Write Better, Write Useful Books. And what he did was he got a pre-order for the book for people to sign up. But as well, yes, he created a community around it, uh, a paid community where people can just talk about this particular problem. And if if I had to rewrite this, would be... I wonder if there's a better way that I could have tapped into building a community around this problem of people interested in putting the onboarding more. And then just th- those will become be- the beta readers where I'm releasing a chapter to them uh, at a time rather than uh, for uh, for me, I-, I already had a highly polished version of the product, uh, the product of the book <laughs> <laughs> before I-, I got beta readers. And it- for, pro- for product folks, that's usually... Uh, a big red flag. <laughs> you want you want to you want to release a, a crappy first version and get early feedback from alpha or beta readers, and that's you know you you treat for product people listening treat treat the book like a product. Do user research, get 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 consistent consistently get research feedback on each fu- future or, or chapter that you have and see what's sticking, see what don't. I think that that's what I would have done uh, differently. But the one thing that I did do really well, and it didn't, I didn't do it on purpose. Once again, was I, I taught the materials person, Wes and I were already teaching it a little bit. And it's something that I, I consistently heard as well. Like, for example, with April Dunford, with her book, she was teaching the materials in Obviously Awesome before she wrote the book. Same, same with Rob Fitzpatrick with the mom test. Because the great thing about teaching, especially if it's, it's whether it's over Zoom or whether it's in person, but at least it's live. Is that you getting instantaneous feedback on the stories, the data points, the analogies that you have, the metaphors, and you're hopefully seeing their facial reaction. Where where are you losing people? Which stories are getting their eyes to light up? And those those feedbacks very very valuable. Are there questions that keep popping up in the workshops or the course that you should that 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 should become a chapter on its own, or is something that you should add? So I mean that's one thing that for people who are thinking about writing a book is I would suggest teaching at first in some way. And if it's a problem that resonates with folks, then they would they would sign up for the course or they would check it out and then test out the materials, test out your data, test out your 
your analogies before you write the book. And the great thing about that is the structure you have for the workshop or the course becomes the structure mm. for the book. <laughs> right. It's like it's, it, it, it connects right away. Like how, how you would structure, how you teach it would be how you would write it because that's, that's how they, people read it naturally. Yeah. What, how they learn wow, it. Yeah. yeah, I love that advice. That's just a, it's like an MVP or whatever, or I mean, some, a lot of people are already doing right. this anyway. <laughs> so if they're a teacher teaching these things or doing these courses and it's like, they also run into the problem like, man, I just want to replicate myself. Let me just put it into a more concise way. But at that point, it's, it's hardened a bit. It's, it's gotten user, like you said, a lot of feedback what resonates, what doesn't, does this structure work? Actually, I can change it for the next course. Maybe you can do even like a, for the people that maybe not have the audience to go get customers for it, it could be even just a lightweight Udemy course that they're putting out or a very lightweight email course or things like that and and actually re- hopefully reach out and get feedback. But, yeah, that's a good idea. but that just sounds like a, yeah, a, a great way to get it out there before fully committing to essentially locking all those things into print because not like a product you can keep making iterative changes or or other or a blog post you can keep updating and and making better i I would assume once the book is out there and printed it's sort of going to be there at least until you get around to maybe updating an edition a year or maybe years later Mm. so true i i like that idea with with the email course because it's even it's even earlier version of actually teaching a live course or yeah. So that I get into writing or some kind of course format and you're, you're seeing open rates. Now those are title. Mm-hmm. Those are those your are feedback, testing yeah. titles for mm-hmm. the chapter. Right. And then hopefully if you're seeing, if there's a button at the, or a link in the bottom, you're seeing how many people read to the very bottom and actually click on something. So you're getting like analytical quality, quantitative data in terms of like how, how sticky is, is the content itself. Cool. Awesome. Nate, I think you were going to, you had something to chime in or did I steal your thunder with the MVP comment? <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I think, I think that pretty much wraps it up. I, I think we covered a lot. I mean, again, we could probably talk the rest of the day. It's, it's, I think it's morning here for all of us. We're all on the East coast. You guys could probably even do this live next time or whatever. You're probably, what, how, how far are you guys apart in Canada? I mean, I know you're at least both kind of Toronto-ish area. Oh, yeah, it's like uh, I think it's probably forty-five minutes to to get downtown. Where are you based out? Uh, Brantford. Brantford. I'm in Oshawa. We just oh, moved, there you go. So other side of Toronto. Oh yeah, so we're probably further apart. Yeah, the, the <laughs> traffic in Toronto is uh, something else. Right. Sure. Cool. Well, definitely. Thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Ramley, and hopefully we'll have you back another time and this was really awesome thank you so much